0: Good afternoon and welcome to Stories in Public Health. I'm your host, Emily Dider, and today I'm thrilled to once again be at the uh, lovely Macquarie University. And I'm going to be interviewing uh, my boss, um, Professor Janaki Omin, who is the de- director of the Masters of Public Health program here at Macquarie University, and she's also the head of the Department of Health Systems and Populations. She has a Bachelor of Science with honours, um, a Master of Public Health with honours, And um, she's also completed a PhD at UNSW. Um, Following that, she worked at the Kirby Institute, and she specializes in epidemiology, biostats, and infectious diseases. And she has a special interest in HIV and hepatitis C, which fits in well with Kirby. Um, And she's also the chief investigator on grants worth over $20 million, which I think is very impressive. Welcome, Janaki. Thank you, Emily. (laughs) Uh, so I thought we might start today um, with talking about Kirby. You were there for sixteen years, which is quite a long time. Um, so why did you stay for so long? And um, yeah, why was wh- why
1: did you stay so long? So I started at the Kirby before I'd done my PhD. So it was in my transition years, and I still thinking of myself as a public health professional, having worked in other areas first, and I moved to the Kirby to really gain skills in biostatistics, thinking my background had been epidemiology, and I wanted to be a good epidemiologist, and I thought the best way to do that was to actually improve my biostat skills. And as part of my training there, I started a PhD. So that locked me into four years of being there, which was two years after I'd started. So that creates a block of time that you're going to be engaged with an organisation. And it's an organisation where at that time, it was 2000 when I started there, so the HIV epidemic in Australia was still big, there were lots of people being infected, it was still an enormous problem around the world, and it was actually quite an interesting time to be involved in HIV because that's when new therapies were being brought out and effective therapies and that was a lot of the work that we were doing in the Kirby Institute so it was a very exciting time to be around and my PhD as well was actually in hepatitis C not HIV and the findings from my PhD I was lucky in getting significant findings which doesn't happen to (laughs) everyone in their PhD and had a fantastic topic which was looking at mortality in cancer in people with Hep C and got really great outcomes in terms of findings, not positive in terms of the health of people, yeah. unfortunately. But set me up in a lot of ways to, to be engaged, not just with the research community, but felt a very strong affinity to, for the affected populations. So in terms of um, the affected populations for Hep C and for HIV those are two areas of public health that have what we seem to think of as the perfect nexus in some ways in public health, which is where you have the affected population, the researchers, clinicians, all working together and all crossing boundaries in terms of those categories. So it created a really vibrant workforce. So we used to say at the Kobe, if you're here more than two or three years, you're here for life, <laughs> <laughs> which at that point in time seemed to be the way. So it was a very difficult place to leave. I looked at leaving a couple of times and happened to be working on projects that I just really wanted to see through, and then the next project would come in. Yeah. Come in. So it was a place where there was a lot of interesting work being done with a great bunch of people who were doing it so it was very easy to stay around and I think um, there's a difficulty in that comfort sometimes you don't challenge yourself in ways that you may when you move but you also get the longevity and seeing things through to completion which is huge benefit that was going to be my exact next question about
0: what do you think the benefits (laughs) or the negative things about that is excellent answer so from there you came here to Macquarie University I did Uh, was that last year Beginning of this Beginning year. Beginning so. of this year. Yeah. Um, and so you're the director of the Marshall Public Health Program. What do you hope to achieve with this MPH?
1: Okay, so we're creating an MPH in a world that has many MPHs. Yes. <laughs> so we want to create a point of difference. I think the greatest advantage that we have is that we're new and we've all come from a place of experience in both teaching, learning, academia and practice so creating a masters of public health that is set for today's world we don't have baggage that we're bringing with us in terms of prior expectations from the teaching staff yeah or from the students or from the university so we can create a team of lecturers and people developing and delivering the course who have a common vision of what we want to put out there and we can create a truly collaborative vision of what that is and bring everyone's experiences to it and I think that is a huge reward for this course in that um, there's a consistency across the way the program is delivered. We have ideals for the program in terms of authentic teaching and learning, engagement with the wider public health sector and nurturing and maintaining our students that drive through the whole of the program.
0: And I think you do that really well. I must always sound to everyone on the podcast like I always suck up to my bosses (laughs) but um, it just is really lovely to work here and I think you do it so well that I've never had a boss that's been so open to like my ideas and when you say it's a collaborative team effort you're not just paying lip service. Like you really do value everyone's contribution and you're trying to make it a whole team sort of vision. So that's why I really like
1: working here. Thank you, <laughs> that's very kind of you. <laughs>
0: um, and you, you did just touch on um, authenticity and one of the other good things about working here. You don't know that I call you this, but I tell everyone else that it's like working with Oprah. Because sometimes when I come and talk to you like on a Friday night, And I've never had these kind of conversations with my boss before, but your two key principles are authenticity and presence, being present. So could you maybe talk about that, why they're important to you, and then how you bring them into your work and you're bringing them here?
1: So authenticity to me um, has a number of meanings. But for the teaching program, it's really about teaching a program that, nails what the students need when they leave the program so part of that is really engaging with the public health workforce and finding out from them what are they going to be the key skills and attributes that they want from people in the workforce and trying to make sure that they're embedded into our course so that's who we're producing at the end of the program that means giving students knowledge skills And the ability to deliver both of those things in a workplace setting so I think it's challenging to transfer some of those skills into an academic setting we know that a lot of the stuff we do in terms of practice and how we interact with people and how we engage with stakeholders is difficult to replicate in a Educational environment but we do the best we can we try and bring in people to support ensuring that we are delivering the right materials in the right way and we try and create a diversity of assessments and assessment tasks and a diversity of ways in which we deliver in our information so that they get the broadest range of exposure to a different way of thinking and a different way of delivering as we possibly can.
0: Yes, I think that's true. Could you maybe give us some examples? Because I think some of the assessments here have been really fun and amazing. And we've also had some really great guest speakers. Could you maybe give us a a few examples of your highlights?
1: Yeah, so um, we had Alex Wodak speak very recently. So he's a man who works in harm reduction. And we've crossed paths many times before in um, tangential ways. And I think he, he really shared his lived experience with us and brought some interesting concepts and ideas and challenges to the students, as well as um, Ann Jauncey, who works in a common area to Alex, and truly showed her passion to our students, and I think really brought, in some ways, the ideals of what public health delivery are to the classroom really engaged the classroom um, showed us some real heartfelt emotion and I think this is part of the authenticity that we're talking about is sharing your true passion it's, it's easy as a lecturer to try and put the facade up and just look like a professional but sometimes actually sharing your love and, and passion for what you're doing is what is going to engage the students yeah. the most and if you can share that it inspires them and we want to create public health professionals who love what they're doing if they're going to stay in the field we're all faced with challenges all the time we're all faced with financial cutbacks and job losses and difficulties dealing with bureaucracy sometimes we're part of the bureaucracy all of those things if we have an underlying desire to do what we're doing then you continue to kick on that's true, that's yeah. why I keep kicking on yeah <laughs> uh, excellent,
0: and what about being present? She didn't touch on that, is that just a life?
1: Um... I think that's a that's more and I'll, I'll jump ahead a little bit okay. the question <laughs> I know you're going to ask me which is work-life balance because for me the two go very much hand in hand and I think the idea of being present for me is something I try to do wherever i am or whatever i'm i'm doing which is um in terms of the work-life balance is when i'm with my children is to be thinking about my children when i'm there and not be thinking about work and vice versa when i'm at work i'm present here and trying not to think about them sometimes the two do overlap yeah. <laughs> more than you like but i think if you have that as your underlying goal then you can get rid of the guilt and i think guilt's just undermines what you do in every place and and you owe it to yourself to be present where you are you owe it to your children to be present when you're with them you owe it to your work to be present when you're at work and it actually gives you space because otherwise you have too much well for me i find i can't multitask my brain in that way so i need to to be focused wherever i am and It alleviates the guilt because you've you've made the decision to be in that office or in that sandpit and that's where you are
0: oh that's good I think I need to practice that more I feel like my mind's always whizzing Uh, and so another question I had was what was it like changing to this role um, and becoming a professor congratulations Uh, what was it like changing after such a long time somewhere else
1: So for me, it was an enormous change. So like I said, it was after 16 years at Kirby, it was leaving people who I'd lived a life with effectively. But also I felt like I had done as much as I could do within that organization and I was hitting some walls that I felt like I needed to move elsewhere to get past. And I was completely research active there with some small bits of teaching and moving to this role, which is a completely teaching role, and doing some small parts of research. And what I have found is that I'm experiencing an enormous brain expansion. (laughs) So I've gone from being incredibly focused in that research capacity to being asked to, to develop this new program, which can be whatever I want it to be. So it's incredibly exciting and I feel like I'm using the other side of my brain I get to be almost artistic in some ways because I can explore in ways that you can't so much in research research is creative as well but it's in a different way and I'm far more connected to the university because there is a lot of bureaucracy that goes along with teaching but also working in a faculty where research and teaching are highly valued and the intersection between both is also highly valued so that this feeds back into the authenticity as well is that if you are an active researcher your teaching becomes far more authentic because you know what the key areas are you have you come from a place of knowledge when you're teaching rather than just delivering something out of a textbook
0: Yeah, I agree. I always use examples from my work when I talk to the students. And they know. They
1: They can hear that it it comes from a different place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, because I didn't um, prep you for this beforehand, and I'm your um, subordinate or (laughs) your employee, so it might be weird. But with such a big change, do you ever feel overwhelmed? You never seem overwhelmed.
1: Not so much yet because I have a fabulous staff. <laughs> That's the awesome,
0: right answer. <laughs> I have
1: an awesome team who work with me who are incredibly supportive. I think I'm using the word incredible. A That's lot. okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the faculty here is very supportive as well. There are lots of resources to, yeah. to pull upon as well. Uh, it hasn't felt too overwhelming yet, but I think it might become so. I'm sure that we'll have moments of ups and downs and we'll muddle through them as best we can. Yeah, we are getting more students next year. <laughs> we are getting a lot more students
0: next year. <laughs> um, excellent. And I'm just looking at my list of other questions. Oh, and so you're um, involved in, as a mentor for the Franklin Women Mentoring Program. Yes. Um, first of all, why did you decide to do that? And why do you think it's important for um, people, young researchers, especially young women, for all young researchers, to have mentors?
1: Mm-hmm. So it's quite interesting because I don't know if I would have gotten into the program if I'd stayed at the Kobe So I was nominated into the program by the dean of the faculty here. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that was the other good thing about moving is to be seen as a leader. Yeah. So I moved into a leadership position, which when you've been in the place a long time, it's very hard to get that shift of vision from the people around you as well as for yourself. Mm. So if you move into a new position that is... It has a difference you are seen as that as soon as you get there and then you choose to either live up to it and move above and beyond it or to retract back to where you were and I really enjoyed the challenge of going I'm stepping up to something new and I've been offered so many opportunities one of which is mentoring in the Franklin Women's program which has been fantastic so there's training in that program in terms of leadership and how to mentor as well as reaching out and speaking to many women on different levels about their own careers and they've partnered us up with mentees who match our skill sets and my mentee is fantastic and we seem to have common ground on how we see research working and she has a child and family life and how those all get negotiated her workplace is very similar to the kobe was in terms of being research intensive yeah so i think i can act i can again hopefully give an authentic experience of, of how to deal with some of what she's dealing with as well as just finding out what she's doing and having a different perspective on on how she can manage some of the challenges that she's facing
0: Hmm. And speaking of challenges, um, this is something I'll people need to ask you from personal experience, but I mentioned to you before the podcast, I have a couple of friends at the moment who are trying to complete the, at the very, sort of very end stages of their PhDs. And um, it seems to me that a lot of us in this kind of space are... Um, push ourselves very hard and are also very hard on ourselves and put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, do you have any advice when for people like me or my friends who are finishing their PhD when we're just really beating ourselves up and being really hard on ourselves? Stop it. Okay. <laughs> 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 she does actually say that to me a lot while
1: I'm here. Um, I understand it there's a lot of expectations from yourself, your family, your peers, your supervisors as to what you're going to do and where you get on. I think some of the challenge is to actually prepare yourself for post-completion life from about six months before you complete. It's a very hard time because you're very focused on writing up. Hopefully you have supervisors who are supporting you understand that just like every other challenge that we face, especially in academia and teaching, maybe think about it a little bit like your HSC. It's a highly focused, highly anxious, lots of pressure, lots of people having expectations on you as well as your own expectations of self um, time in your life. But there is life beyond it. And you need to figure out how you're going to manage that and having some irons in the fire before you complete I think is a really good way to actually take some of the stress off yourself to know that you have plans or a pathway beyond easier said than done yeah and I really encourage people to speak to their supervisors about how that pathway is managed they should know you better but than most people would yeah. in terms of your academic ability and be able to see some of those pathways so I think it's something that I've learned over the years is we often wait for the people above us to create pathways for us sometimes we need to push them to make them do it they are useful people and they can create those pathways sometimes they don't know that that's what you're waiting for Mm, yeah that's good advice actually have, have that conversation with them Yeah, that's really good advice.
0: And what do I do? Because I'm post PhD, and I still do it. Just stop it. (laughs) No,
1: no. Oh, you have to stop the stressing, but you now do actually talk to me about. That is true. Yes, and I do talk to you when I'm
0: stressed or putting too much pressure on myself. That's That's very true. true. Okay, that's good advice, people. It does does seem to be working well. Um, Okay, I think that was all my questions. Do you have any uh, big messages or anything else you want to get out to the world?
1: enjoy yourselves oh that's nice (laughs) look after yourselves be true to what you want to do and sometimes it's hard to know what you want to do so just keep putting your foot on the path until something strikes you and it's where you want to go
0: i told you she's like oprah (laughs) 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 and finally um a favorite book or a book you've read um or a movie you've seen that has like really inspired you or changed the way you've thought about the world
1: so Until very recently, I would have said Cloud Atlas, which was my favourite book for the last five years or so, which I read in almost one sitting, I think. I think it was an airport read, but just took me away into many different worlds. I love reading for that reason. It takes you into worlds, but that took you to many different worlds and just loved it. I think David Mitchell is fantastic. But then I read A Little Life last year and was... Gutted by it. So a book that can create that much emotional response in me, I sort of think, is very special.
0: Are there any happy bits though, or is it
1: very few? Okay, (laughs) I'll have to prepare myself before I read it. Don't go there when you're feeling vulnerable.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been lovely. Been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for listening.